This is Epicenter Bitcoin, episode 128 with guest Jeb McCaleb. episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by Ledger, now accepting pre-orders for the all-new Ledger Blue Developer Edition, a Bluetooth and NFC touchscreen hardware signing device. Learn more about the Ledger Blue at ledgerwallet.com and use the discount code EPICENTER to get 10% off your first order. Hello and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects and startups driving decentralization and the global blockchain revolution. My name is Brian Fabian Crane. And I'm Meher Roy. Today we have a very special guest, Chet McCaleb. He's currently the CTO of Stellar, but previously he has been the founder of eDonkey, Mt. Gox, the Bitcoin exchange, Ripple, and, and Stellar itself. So we are going to talk about what Stellar is doing, what kinds of market it's targeting, what kind of technical, challenge, uh, technical uh, systems it's building. And uh, before that, let's have an intro from Jed. Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, thanks for having me on the show. Um, uh, yeah, I like like you said, yeah, I'm uh, Jed McCaleb. You know, I've been involved in distributed systems for years and years uh, and was involved in Bitcoin from fairly early on um, and was super, super excited about it and wanted a way to buy Bitcoins. And so founded Mt. Gox, um, which only ran for a short bit. But yeah. And how, how did you go from Mt. Gox to something like Ripple and then Stellar? Um, well, when I first learned about Bitcoin, um, I was, you know, prior to that, I didn't think there was a way to even solve this problem, this, uh, this whole idea that you could have, um, a distributed database, essentially a distributed database that, that nobody has direct control over, but no one can change arbitrarily that it's changed by this fixed set of rules. Um, and once you kind of see that, that, that there's a potential to do that, it's like super exciting. Um, so, um, I really like the idea of Bitcoin, but I just started to think of other ways to solve the consensus problem just because um, that's, you know, I've been uh, a, a computer programmer for a very long time. And that's kind of what you do is like when you see uh, one solution, you kind of try to think of other solutions as well. So, um, so yeah, so I, so I, I started Mt. Gox just as a way to get Bitcoins essentially. And, and because th at that point there was really no exchange and uh, it was just clear that there needed to be a marketplace for them. Um, but but that, that problem itself is not very interesting to me, which is why I um, didn't, basically I pretty soon uh, sold it to this guy in Japan, um, Mark, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, but uh, but yeah, so then, but then after, after I kind of was done with Mt. Gox, I was still like intrigued by this, this whole, uh, problem of consensus and, and how you can have a distributed database with, with, um, uh, you know, with, with everybody agreeing on the state of the database, but no one controlling it, which is, which can be used in lots of different ways as we're starting to see now. Um, and so basically I came up with this idea of how to do it, that, that evolved into being ripple. Um, uh, so, so basically it, a way of, a way of solving consensus problem without the mining. So that, that's kind of what led me to ripple. So, yeah. So, one of the things that just just as you know us and and a lot of people listening right who are so involved in this in this space with bitcoin and blockchains and cryptocurrencies you know sometimes it, it all sort all starts feeling a little bit normal and this is just you know the way the world the way this world works right, right? but then uh, one of the books uh that uh, so there's a book called digital gold we had nathaniel popper on as well to talk about that uh but that sort of writes about the, the history of Bitcoin, really. And it's a fantastic book, so I really recommend people check it out. But I, I thought what it really um, made me sort of made very kind of obvious to me and like brought to light is just what a crazy story this is and like what an insane concept and insane vision. Uh, so it does a fantastic job at that, and 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 you play a significant role role in there, um, and it really does. I actually just went back before and and I looked briefly at the on you know on, on Amazon. One can look for the search for, for currencies, and 
it talks a little bit about those early days, right? When Mt. Gox was started and before there was basically no way really of buying Bitcoin. I mean, you could maybe email some person and then you started Mt. Gox and within no time, it just completely took off. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was definitely a very interesting time. I mean, it was totally unclear whether the project would work or not. Um, and I think most people were were hopeful, but but didn't like thought you know realistically this is probably not going to work. But just because the idea is awesome, but it's you're asking to change kind of the fundamental structure of how, how things are done, and and you know usually that doesn't work. So. Um, it was always just kind of amazing. I think for everybody involved early on, it was always just amazing. Anytime like it would get further adoption or like, you know, you would, you'd read about it in some, some article or, or, you know, you would, some famous person would say something about it. Like every, every time something like that happened, everyone would got, got really excited and just be, slowly became more and more real. Like over the years, like when, when I like talk about it with people I knew from back then, it's just always like, wow, this is so surreal. Like when we came into it, it was like literally a penny of Bitcoin. And, and now it's like this worldwide thing. So, yeah, the whole time was like super exciting, especially like the whole cast of characters was was very like fringe of the internet. So it's interesting to see it kind of become more legitimate over time, and 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 just how that whole whole thing has changed. It's just yeah, it's been cool. So yeah. So today, the whole blockchain space has has really taken on a, a very different role. Like today, right a lot of the activities and people investing most heavily in this are banks, right? right. Which probably is the last thing people expected yeah. back then. Yeah, no, everybody would always talk about, well, as soon as blanks, banks understand this or like realize what, what's happening here, they're all just going to try to like do some conspiracy theory to shut this thing down or like everyone is like super paranoid of it. But yeah, I mean, the reaction to, uh, from banks has been like the most surprising thing to me because like literally I think every bank on the planet has their blockchain exploration division at this point where they're all interested in this technology. I think they all see that that the world is shifting this way and it's 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 a really important technical development and nobody wants to kind of be left behind in it. So yeah, so yeah, the the reaction has been super positive actually. And then, yeah, Ripple too, right? Very exciting project and, and sort of very early on. I mean, we had also Stefan Thomas on before to talk about that. So, so the original vision um, for, for Ripple was to enable fiat currencies on, on a sort of peer-to-peer -peer fiat payments. Is that correct? Um, sort of, yeah. So basically, uh, when I came up with the, the, the ideas behind Ripple, like the, how you could... You could essentially be just because architecturally you could have it, you could um, store other stuff in the, it was, it was closer to a database than what Bitcoin is. Like Bitcoin is, is less of the way a traditional database works than what Ripple is um, just, just because technically the way it's um, designed, right? So there's, it, it, Bitcoin is essentially this chain of transactions where you have to know all the transactions in the chain to be able to know the balances of individual accounts. Whereas Ripple has, uh, has an account and it'll have a, a balance and then, uh, so basically, you just need you just need the current ledger um, to know what's going on, and so it makes it easier to stick other information in there, like other assets. And so, the original idea was just to do um, something similar to Bitcoin, where there is just one token. But then we kind of realized, hey, you know, you could send, you could put other assets in here, um, and then have these trade against each other, and make this more of like a full, full, full-featured payments network where. Uh, it doesn't matter what currency people are holding; they can all kind of interoperate. So it kind of moved in that direction over over the development of it. Um, but yeah, uh, basically now, um, you know, now that is certainly the focus, where it's it's on the the actual other fiat currencies in it. So. And so, what was the story of how you left Ripple and and then ended up starting Stellar? Yeah. So. Um, uh, basically, the person I brought on to be CEO, uh, we ended up having like lots of personal, or just the relationship kind of went sour, and and the direction the company was going wasn't really something that I thought would work or really be a part of. So so I left, and then I took some time off, and uh, you know I wasn't really intending to do another thing in in the cryptocurrency space, but. I just couldn't get my mind off of it just because it is, I think we are in this transitional time where um, we're moving from, you know, the way, the way money works, uh, the traditional way money and payments works is like kind of, you know, a big mess, right? It doesn't, doesn't, nothing really interoperates and uh, it leaves a lot of people out of the financial system. And it's, it's kind of like the pre-internet days 
of, of the way, you know, information was sent around. And then, then there was this internet that came along and kind of democratized the whole thing and, and opened it up to everybody. And I think we're going through a similar shift with money. And it, it, to me, it's going to be even more, it's even more exciting because not only is it information, it, it's like economic activity, which, uh, which I think can be more empowering and, 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 uh, you know, um, much more exciting. So I, like, I just didn't see like I took like basically a year off and like I didn't see anyone in the blockchain space kind of solving the, the this particular problem where um, what what Stellar is really trying to do is connect all these different financial networks together. So, um, you know, there's like SWIFT and SEPA and ACH and like mobile money things in, in Africa and other parts of the developing world. And none of these things uh, interoperate with each other seamlessly. Right. So um, what the goal of Stellar is to connect all these things. So it's it's you should be able to send 50 cents to somebody in Mexico or, you know, um, you know, just in the same way you can send an email to anyone in the world. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what domain provider they're using or anything like that, that the payment should work the same way. And so, um, we basically, we just wanted to solve that problem. So that's why, you know, that's what kind of led us to Stellar. So, so I mean, the, the original, like the original vision for Ripple was something very similar where, um, when Ripple started and I and I used Ripple for the first time, um, I got the feeling that this is a consumer focused play, right? You wanted uh, you wanted like a lot of people to come onto the Ripple network, a lot of consumers to come onto the Ripple network, transfer money all around the world, and uh, and have very low friction doing it. Right. But off late, like when I see Ripple, I see that their focus is kind of shifting away from the consumer play and into a a bank's play, right? Like they have, uh, they have been focusing a lot on correspondent banking. They they actually shut down Ripple Trade, which I which I which I really liked and which I used as a consumer. And I see mm. that they are kind of focusing more towards banks now on the one side, and then they have the Interledger protocol, which is uh, meant to make uh, financial ledgers of banks interoperate with each other. Right. But is it would it be correct to stay, say that Stellar is still focusing on the original vision for Ripple, which is a consumer-focused play? Um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not sure what, what Ripple's plans are currently. Like, I haven't followed them too closely, but it does seem like, as an outsider view, it does seem like they're pivoting to kind of be like Swift 2.0, um, which we're certainly not doing. Um, I, I think... Um, I don't know if we're a consumer focused play. I mean, basically our, our, our like thesis and for like a lot of reasons, I think where we want to focus our efforts is in the developing world because, you know, payments doesn't work perfectly in like the U S and Europe, you know, but you can use like Venmo and PayPal and it is easy to send. Like maybe it's not as quick as it should be or as cheap, cheap as it should be, but it's pretty low friction. Right. But whereas in uh, places like Nigeria, you know, half the people don't have bank accounts, um, you know, there's several different mobile money operators and none of them connect to each other. So if you're on one, you can't send to another, um, you know, payments are a huge, huge problem there. Right. So for us, like we want to solve, uh, that problem where the pain is kind of the greatest, um, you know, for a few reasons. I mean, I think, you know, just morally for us, like those, those people are, 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 you know, not part of the financial system and, and that's, and, and financial access is like one of the huge uh, blockers for poverty alleviation. And I think that's why like Gates Foundation and all these other big institutions have kind of made this part of their uh, mandate recently, just because uh, they've kind of realized as they're trying to do programs there that, you know, if people don't have financial access, then it's hard to give them like education or, or pay for healthcare or like make small savings accounts, things like this. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a huge problem for a large part of the world. And uh, I, we feel like if we can solve that problem, not only is it massively beneficial but it is it is the like when we go and talk to people there they get some the system like stellar instantly because they do understand the need for this kind of thing whereas people in the u.s and europe you kind of have to like walk them through like why this is better than what they have now um so it's it the 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 need is not as apparent so our our goal is basically to um get stellar working really well and in one region, um, specifically Nigeria right now. Um, and then once we've kind of demonstrated that, then other people can copy it in other countries or, um, it, you know, uh, it can just be replicated because it is an open system. So anybody can kind of plug into it. So, yeah. Cool. I mean, yeah, that, that really seems like in like a very good vision, right? Like you've kind of yeah. zeroed it into Nigeria and right. like completely focusing on that and kind of your blog also reflects that, right? It has so many articles about financial inclusion that it's, 
it's in a sense it's it's very rare in the bitcoin space like you would go to a conference and uh, and have this guy talk about bitcoin in africa right but when you when you go to the websites of bitcoin community like of bitcoin companies like there's no there doesn't seem to be any real action towards that direction but like right. when you go to the stellar's website i see that so many blogs and like you have programs for enabling women in certain parts of africa have access mm-hmm. to mobile money and things like that right yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean i think the rest of i mean just the rest of in the same way that like silicon valley and technology in general is pretty much focused on the developed world just because that's where people live and that's what they're used to um but but you know so it is rare that that companies are kind of focusing outside of that not not even in the bitcoin space and, and just in the you know technology in general so but yeah we, we've just found that like this this just makes the most sense to us and it is the most compelling use of it right now i think i mean we, we do hope that eventually the whole world adopts this and in fact like to solve financial inclusion like they have to be connected not only to to their local communities but to the wider world because they that that's what that means is that they can they can transact with people in europe and us just as easily as we can right so Let's take a short break so we can go to Paris. I stopped into La Maison du Bitcoin, the house of Bitcoin, at the Ledger offices, and I met with Ledger CEO, Eric Larchevec, so he could tell me all about the Ledger Wallet Chrome app. The Ledger Wallet Chrome app is the perfect companion app for your Ledger HW1 or Nano. We have very powerful and cool features. You can use multi-accounts, for instance, personal accounts, business accounts. This is very useful. Also, when you want to make a transaction, we use a second factor verification. You can either use a physical security key or cryptographically securely pair your Android or iOS smartphone to your Nano. This way, when you issue a transaction, a payment, the transaction will pop up on your Android or iOS phone and you will be able to verify the amount and destination address. Finally, the Ledger Chrome app has an API with which you can easily integrate third-party applications. For instance, if you want to create a multi-signature account with CoinKite or Copay, it will be done using the Ledger Wallet Chrome app. Ledger is making hardware wallets easy and convenient without compromising on security. If you want to get a secure setup for storing your Bitcoins, go to ledgerwallet.com and use the code EPICENTER to get 10% off your order. We'd like to thank Ledger for their support of EPICENTER Bitcoin. So uh, one of the one of the other other key differences that I noticed with uh, with with uh, with Ripple because and and I'm and I'm and I'm framing this in terms of Ripple because that's what people understand more today but uh, because Stellar is a newer project so is uh, is the consensus algorithm itself right like uh, like as far as I'm aware there was uh, there was this event in the July of 2015 where the Stellar network experienced some difficulties uh, regarding consensus. Right. And then you've shifted a lot of your focus into into solving solving those, right? So just walk us through what this event was and what 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 are the kinds of things you're doing on that front? Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Stellar originally when we launched, we we forked the Ripple code base. So we we started with the Ripple's open source code uh, and um, started growing the network from there. Um, we knew pretty early on that there was that the consensus algorithm wasn't very well specified and that we would have to do some work there. Um, I, I started uh, talking to Professor David Mazaris, who runs the Secure, the Secure Computing Group at Stanford um, about, about the algorithm and like, hey, how is there ways we can make this better? Like, what, what do we need to do to make the, get a formal proof of this? And basically he kind of looked at it and was, well, I don't really think that this direction is quite right. Maybe I'll just start from scratch. And he got super excited about the problem and basically came up with this new algorithm, which eventually became SCP, the Stellar Consensus Protocol, um, and wrote a long white paper about that, which is available on our site if you want to like dig deeper. But um, so, uh, but along uh, while this was happening, um, we were also doing the the giveaway of the lumens, um, which maybe we can talk about a bit later. But, but uh, so we were growing really quickly. And so we got to once we got to about two million, three million accounts, the the network was having like scalability issues, um, and it was causing like servers to go really slow, like to become really slow and like come back and stuff like this. So so there was all these like kind of timing issues come, happening because the servers would be like one server would be like delayed and send its messages a little bit late, things like this. And eventually, what happened is uh, because the 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 consensus algorithm wasn't robust in the face of these like timing 
issues um, the the network fork. So what, like some of the servers thought the didn't see some of the transactions that some of the other servers saw. So so basically what we had to do is unfortunately we we just reduced it to uh, one server. So one server was running the network, so it couldn't disagree with anybody. Uh, and then because we were already pretty far along in the process of of rewriting the the network at this point. Uh, and so we were like, well, we'll just run it like this for the next few months until we can switch over to the, the new consensus algorithm. And so that's what they did. That's what we did. And then so uh, probably a few months ago, we actually um, got the got the new the new software in production ready and, and rolled that out. So um, to, uh, to us, it's like way it's uh, it's um, really nice to be on the new code essentially so it's it's much it's much safer it's much more scalable it's much easier to use um it, it's it's a complete rewrite it doesn't have any of the code from the previous software um so it, it's much safer because it uses this stellar consensus protocol which is like provably safe and correct and has this nice formal proof um uh so we could, we're sure that it won't it won't fork again that it won't fork it but what happens is basically basically with these distributed systems you have a choice to make right you can either uh, there's a proof that you can't have um, uh, fault tolerance, uh, safety, and liveness. So what that means is uh, you, you can't make you can't you can't be sure that um, that, uh, that 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 it won't fork uh, that a distributed system won't fork both won't fork and uh, that it will keep making progress. Right. So you have to choose which of those options you want to um, forego. And so. Uh, the old the old code was foregoing uh, safety and now we're foregoing liveness. So if if there's ever a, an issue with safety, um, basically the network will, will stop making progress and then you'll manually have to go in and like figure out what's going wrong, right? So, um, you, but you have to make this choice. And for us, like if it's a choice of of not confirming new transactions, that's a better outcome than confirming transactions that you're like later people are disagreeing about, right? So it just it would lead to more chaos. So, um, so that's the kind of the the choice that the new network makes. Um, uh, which is, we think is a lot better. And then it's also much, much more scalable. So in the face, uh, like we've tested it up to, you know, like half a billion accounts and like many thousands of transactions a second, and it's working fine. Um, and it's much more modular, easier to use. We separated the code into like smaller components. Um, so it's easier to maintain. We pushed a lot of stuff away from the C++ Stellar core into uh, like like a more, uh, like, like, like more like traditional web services systems. So like, you know, basically we have like this system written in Go that that talks to Stellar Core so that both these things can be independently maintained and they kind of, they they have different responsibilities. So, um, and the API is nicer and things like this. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so, people know, of course, Bitcoin, right? The proof of work. Yeah. So, you know, all listeners are familiar with that. And then, uh, well, we've also had Tendermint on, right, which has some of the same uh, choices there in terms that right. uh, there can be no forks, but uh, it can happen that the network halts if there's mm. disagreement. So can you can you explain how uh, the Stellar Consensus Protocol differs from um, Bitcoin's proof of work and from something like Tendermint? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, with Tendermint, I think that they're built on PBFT, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, which which is which is a, a a consensus algorithm that existed prior to Bitcoin, and basically the way it works is you, the the drawback with PBFT is you have a fi you have a fixed set of nodes, right? You you can't have arbitrary nodes joining it, like coming and leaving the network, right? So, um, but under those conditions, I think I'm pretty sure PBFT also um, favors safety over liveness, like the network will halt if there's ever some some catastrophic issue. Um, uh, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin is like a pretty interesting and novel solution to this this consensus problem. Like it doesn't really draw from the from you know Paxos and PBFT and all these like traditional distributed systems algorithms, um, which is why it was so cool because like prior to it, people kind of like hit this wall. They're like, okay, we can't actually solve this problem, um, or maybe they didn't even think that they should try. But um, uh, so uh, kind of the way it differs. From SCP is, uh, I mean, it differs in a few ways. Like so, um, you know, obviously there's this mining process that that requires a lot of computational effort, um, whereas SCP doesn't have that. It's just message passing. Um, you know, because it's just message passing, uh, the transactions confirm much faster in, in Stellar. Like it only takes a, a couple seconds, um, and 
And just the way we've designed it, you don't need the history, the whole, the complete history, whereas Bitcoin, you need the complete history of all transactions ever. Um, whereas with, with Stellar, you just need the current state of the world and then you can kind of move from there. Um, so there's some kind of differences. Yeah. Um, so, so let, let's, let's kind of, kind of reframe, uh, reframe what you've said, what you've said. So there's two things, which one is safety and one is liveness. So the way our kind of listeners could imagine that is, um, like imagine like like you 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 know the bitcoin network well like imagine a scenario in which uh, for some reason no messages can be sent to china for a certain period of time right like uh, the whole western world can communicate with itself but there has been some disaster either man made or natural mm-hmm. uh, maybe the chinese government went and cut all the cables and then you can't uh, send any messages to china what would happen in bitcoin right so the chinese miners would uh, would start, would build their blockchain bitcoin right. blockchain and the miners outside china would build a fork right it right. would be like two different blockchains yeah so, so the network would keep running that means the network is live which means yeah. if i am a consumer in india trying to send a transaction to the us the western uh, miners will confirm my transaction right so the system is live it's not dead right but then once you have messages coming in between China and the Western world, then you have basically like two different blockchains mm-hmm. and there might be some transactions confirmed in one of the blockchain, one, one, one blockchain and some transactions which are dip, which are conflicting with the, those in the other blockchain. Right. So this is, this is a system which favors liveness over safety, right? Yep. And yep. what you're saying is Teller is the opposite. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Bitcoin has a, an interesting take on it because uh, though it does favor um, liveness over safety, you, that's why you wait for more than one confirmation, right? Because uh, you, you like there becomes less and less of a chance of a of a reorg, like of, of picking a different chain, like the further down your transaction is, right? So, um, you know, so if you wait for one confirmation, yes, it's totally possible that like somebody mines two blocks and then yours gets is not included in the ultimate chain but if if there's like 20 or 100 confirmations then it's really 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 unlikely that it'll switch right somebody would have to do a lot of mining to to make your transaction go away but but yes it is technically possible right so that that's in that sense it favors liveness over safety so and and the other thing that we talked about which is pbft practical byzantine fault tolerance so Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in Bitcoin, what's happening is the people that are coming to consensus, um, which might be the miners and the full nodes, uh, they can change, right? Like I can become a miner right now right. and drop mm-hmm. off an hour later or something right. like that, right? But in PBFT, what tends to happen is uh, you have a fixed set of uh, validators or nodes. So like if you want to imagine PBFT, imagine like what would uh, five banks do if they wanted to run a payment system together. Right. The five banks know each other and they know that only they should be able to run the system. So they use PBFT because they know each other. Right. And now Stellar is uh, something very interesting where um, in theory, you know the other participants in the network, but it also has some Bitcoin-like characteristics, right? So mm-hmm. describe what these, what these trade-offs are. Right. So, I mean, the kind of the, the big innovation that David came up with is that you what you want, you do want this system that is like Bitcoin where nodes can come and go. Right. So um, the, 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 the innovation is that basically you can have this set of, of nodes out there in the world that are validating transactions, but you don't have to know all of them. Right. So you only have to pick a certain subset that you're listening to. Um, so say there's like 100 validators in the world and you pick like 20. Right. That, that you're saying, you know, if. You know, if uh, you know two thirds of these guys think that this 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 next ledger is valid, then I'm willing to say, okay, this next ledger is valid. Um, and the interesting thing is, is uh, everybody doesn't have to pick the same set of people. Um, there, what you you can as long as there is a certain overlap between the people that are are picked. In the same way, like um, you can kind of think of like in Facebook, like people are different friends with different groups, but there is some like chain of connection where people are all, you know, you know, maybe I'm not friends with you, but I'm friends with someone else who's friends with someone else who's friends with you. Right. And, and it's the same way with Stellar, like, you know, you, you have your 20 guys, somebody else on the other side of the network has their 20 guys. And then maybe there's some in the middle that has some of both guys. And then you can show that if the network is connected in particular ways, that there is this confluence of, of, of quorum essentially where, um, 
where if there, with certain amount of interconnectedness, then then everyone will agree upon the same value, right? If you follow the SCP algorithm, so so either either the whole network will agree on this one value, or or they won't, right? So um, yeah, so that that's kind of the the neat trick is that is that you you don't actually have to know everybody in the network, and you can you can have people coming on off the list of people that you're listening to, and it doesn't really affect the safety of the network as a whole. So, so with Bitcoin, right, one, one of the things that proof of work uh, was meant to solve was to protect from civil attacks, right? Mm-hmm. And then with, with something like PBFT, you, well, you don't have civil yeah. attacks because not anybody can validate. So mm-hmm. are you saying that with Stellar, the way you can protect from something like civil attack is because a civil attacker, uh, basically because of the network looking at the topography of the network and basically saying, well, you know, if somebody creates like a million new accounts, they aren't connected to other accounts in those mm-hmm. critical ways. So, yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of one of the trade-offs is, is you, uh, it requires a little more active participation on the part of the person running the validator. You, you, you're not picking your nodes that you're listening to randomly. Like you shouldn't do that. You, you need to know who they are, right? So maybe you'll pick these three banks and like this, this nonprofit, these like two developers that you know, and that will be your quorum set, right? Um, so, but the thing that you need to be careful about is this civil attack thing, right? You don't want to pick a uh, hundred people and they're really all owned by the same, they're controlled by the same person. Right. So, um, so you need to make sure that the, the, the people that you put on your list are actually unique like that. And that, that, that burden is on the operator of the validator, which is different than way, the way it is in Bitcoin In Bitcoin, you, you shift that burden onto the hope that not one person can control all the mining power. So, but presumably, right, so let, let's say now I wanted to participate in the, the seller process and mm-hmm. I, I download the software. Like, how would I initially choose those nodes? Does it come with a, with a predefined uh, set of default validators? Uh, no, it doesn't. It, but but you can there's you can you can listen to the network and then basically you can see who other people are are trusting and then also we hope people will publish their validation key, right? So like if you're if you're a Stellar business and you were running Stellar Core, you should say, hey, this is my uh, this is my validator, and so people can add them, you know, so they could add different exchanges or or different whatever, right? So. Um, but you kind of have to go discover them, right? So I mean, we we will we do publish a list of here's other people out there in the world that are running validators, and you can kind of look through it and say, okay, I trust this one, this one, this one, right? So, um, but yeah, but it's it's and and you can see what other people have trusted. So you can see the graph of the network. You can see all the nodes that exist in the network and who they're trusting. But you shouldn't just add people blindly. You should know who they are. So. Yeah, so I guess that will be one of the challenges, right? Especially if the network scales, because mm-hmm. most people will take the default path, right? So they yeah. they may not want to go to the effort of consciously choosing validators. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the common like I don't think just end users are going to run Stellar Core. I, I think people that are um, you know that are that have businesses that depend on Stellar will run Stellar Core. You know, maybe maybe people at universities will run it, um, or, or like developers that are super, inter- super interested, but I, I don't think it'll just be like an end user running Stellar Core. Um, with the, the way kind of Stellar is designed, it, it's less necessary than with Bitcoin, just because you're you're usually dealing with fiat, so you're usually trusting uh, a particular entity anyway. Like if, you're, if your uh, anchor is, you know, if you have dollars from your anchor, some bank, basically if, if that bank decides to to like cheat you, then they're going to cheat you, right? It, whether you have running Stellar Core or not. So you might as well just let them run the Stellar Core. So, so do you also have a concept of, well, first of all, uh, light nodes, and, and then do, how do you see that playing out? Like, do you think there's going to be uh, tons of people running validators, like in Bitcoin, thousands, or mm-hmm. or is it more going to be a few hundred? Like, I guess with Ethereum, I think, no, with Casper, the expectation might be that there was only going to be maybe a few hundred um, yeah. validators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's super early, so it's hard to say. I mean, I, I would imagine maybe a, a few hundred. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I think the, I think the main people that will run them will be the Stellar businesses. So to the extent that they adopt it, I mean, if you're, you know, maybe if thousands of banks adopt it, then thousands of people will be running them. So but we'll see. <laughs> so what's the incentive to run a Stellar node? If I'm a Stellar business, why, why, why would, what would drive me towards running a node? 
Um, so it, it, well, bear in mind that it's way less expensive to run a Stellar node than a Bitcoin miner, right? There's not this like CPU overhead. You're just you're just you just have a server there that's kind of exchanging transactions with other people, right? So it's it's um, not that much of a burden. Um, and you would run one because you want direct access to the network, right? You don't want to like if you're if you're um, having to like submit lots of transactions to the network, you want to do it to your own Stellar core rather than to somebody else's. And you know, for the same token as if you're receiving lots of stuff, you want to have the, those messages come immediately. And you also want to, you know, you're, you're depending on sellers, so you want to participate. You want to you want to have you want to make sure that everyone is obeying the rules correctly and and validate that this is this money that you're getting in is actually money you're supposed to be getting in. So, just for just for like safety reasons and and for performance reasons, really. So. And what are performance characteristics here? So will there be something like sharding as well, or or is Stellar actually able to scale uh, to you know handle the global volumes of of transaction and commerce? Um, Stellar can scale pretty far right now. I mean the the transaction of like the global scale of commerce is is quite high. So uh, um, uh, so eventually we would have to do some sort of sharding or something. I mean, one of the things that we're looking in pretty heavily right now, and I think is our next big project, is implementing uh, the Lightning Network on Stellar as well and making it interoperable with the Bitcoin one, which I think will be pretty exciting. Um, you know, for all the same reasons why people are interested in Bitcoin. I mean, it's a really uh, cool idea is that you're basically you can send, you know, essentially millions of transactions and it's all off ledger and doesn't like have any kind of uh, scaling burden on the rest of the network. And like what we're finding is like between two big institutions, like say Bank A wants to integrate and Bank B wants to integrate, uh, and they're sending lots of stuff back and forth, they might as well just have this channel that that keeps it all private between them and, and doesn't burden the, the larger network. And the same idea behind Lightning, where if there's ever disagreement, then you can go back to the ledger to, to settle the dispute um, or just settle there occasionally periodically or something like this. So uh, I think that's the route that we think is most promising right now, that there'll be kind of this... Um, global seller network that's handling a large scale of transactions, but um, but you can get far beyond that through these kind of off, off chain transactions. So. so in terms of raw numbers, how much how much can this seller network handle? And does it depend on the number of nodes or something like that? Uh, it really depends on the hardware you're running Stellar Core on. So it's hard to give um, solid numbers. I mean, we've gotten it up to uh, like 4,000 transactions a second, and that wasn't on really that crazy of hardware. It's basically just a machine with an SSD card, so, uh, or SSD drive. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I think you could take it much further on, on, on big hardware. And we also haven't put in a ton of effort into optimizing too much, right? I mean, we're you know the network is still very small, so it seems silly to get it to <laughs> much much faster than it can do right now. Um, so yeah, but but we're pretty confident. There's a lot of areas where you can optimize still. So um, yeah, and and it also inherits the the great transaction latency properties of Ripple, right? Right. In a few seconds, your transaction gets confirmed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean the, the confirmation times are pretty comparable. Yeah. Today's magic word is galactic. That's G-A-L-A-C-T-I-C. Head over to letstalkbitcoin.com to sign in, enter the magic word, and claim your part of the listener reward. And in terms of like the, uh, like in, in Ripple, uh, what you could do is, uh, if you, I, I was say holding, um, let's say, Norwegian Kroon, uh, Issued by JustCoin, you know right. that was like one of the one of the gateways on yeah. Ripple. Yeah. Then I could basically, uh, and if say Jed, I wanted to make a payment to Jed, and he wants US dollars, then I just have to uh, issue my transaction, and the Ripple network would just convert my Norwegian kroner into dollars and have those dollars in in Jed's uh, account. Right. So in terms of these properties, is Stellar the same? Right, like, or have you innovated on, on in that direction as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, basically at a high level, it's it's similar. I mean, the technical details are a bit different, but uh, yeah, I mean, you can still hold any kind of asset uh, and trade any of these assets between each other. There's still an order book where you can put up offers to buy and sell these different assets against each other. Um, I mean, one of the one of the big things that I hope people do with it is is it becomes like this decentralized exchange for Bitcoin, right? Where 
uh, you don't have to depend on one particular exchange. And I think this would be really beneficial because it would be this, it would kind of pool all the liquidity because right now it's split between all these exchanges, right? So like you can either trade on Coinbase or Bitstamp or Kraken or whatever, but you're not you're not getting the full pool of liquidity. Whereas if there was this distributed exchange where everyone can kind of participate in one global uh, order book, then it would be much better story for the spreads would be lower and things like that. So, and you can move higher volumes. I think it would just be a lot better. So, um, but that's a little bit of ways off. Like we have to start convincing people to like do the trading there. So, but, uh, but it's a direction I hope that it would go. So how would that work? Cause I mean, presumably, right. If I, if I'm going to trade Bitcoins with, uh, you know, someone else for like, let's say US dollar. I mean, one of the lessons I think we have learned knowing the history of Bitcoin is that yeah. a US dollar in, in a Bitcoin exchange, you know, no, they're not all rates. the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so. so how can you have a global order book there? Uh, I mean, you would still, it would, the dollars would, are still tied. Like when you put an asset into Stellar, it's still tied to a particular institution. So it would be like Kraken dollars or Coinbase dollars, things like this. So, yeah. So they would still be tied, and those things can actually trade against each other. Like if one of them, their website starts responding, then maybe you'd get a discount. So. I wanted to circle back a little bit to something you said before, which was the idea that um, Stellar is focused on making all these systems interoperable. Um, like how does that work, and how does it differ with uh, Interledger and, and that approach? Um, I, I feel like, well, so what we're, the, what I mean by that is, is basically, for instance, you know, there's a mobile money operator in Nigeria that we're integrating with right now. So what will happen is they, all their customers, um, they will essentially, they, they'll all get, well, basically they're, this mobile money operator will integrate with Stellar. So what that means is all their customers can now send and receive through Stellar to anybody else on Stellar, right? So this mobile money operator integrates some other mobile money op in a, uh, operator integrates in Nigeria as well. And then now any customer of theirs can send anyone on seller, which is just these guys. So um, so now they can interoperate. So, so say some bank in the US integrates. So now th this these bank's customers can now send and receive from anyone on Stellar. So then now they can send and receive to these these mobile money people, right? And then further, this this bank is connected to ACH in the US, right? Because all banks are connected to the ACH in the US essentially. So uh, they could route a payment from from this Nigerian guy that's sending it over their mobile phone to somebody on the ACH system in inside the US. So now it's connected essentially ACH to this whole mobile money system, right? And so we hope that this process kind of continues through, you know, like all these networks. So maybe there's a bank on the in Europe that's on SEPA, things like this, right? And so it just kind of spreads to where it becomes this kind of universal system where you can easily send around to anybody. Like that, that's what we mean by like connecting all the different financial networks. Uh, Interledger is a way to connect different um, uh, cryptocurrencies together. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And there's another thing I wanted to ask about, which is also sort of yeah. a question that I keep coming back to because it's, it's, I think it's a really important question, although people generally don't like to answer it, uh, <laughs> which is what is the governance in the longer term going to be off of the Intel of the seller protocol, like how are these decisions going to be made? I mean, we have right. all seen the issues with Bitcoin where it's a complete mess at the right. moment and doesn't seem to any way of getting better. Like how, how do you anticipate preventing that? Do you think the, the, the foundation is going to continue to play a critical role there? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's one of the reasons, I mean, that's one of the main reasons we wanted the seller to be a nonprofit is because we, we do want this kind of this open governance uh, and we want to kind of model it as close as possible on the Linux foundation where um, basically, you know, Linux has these same issues where there's lots of different people that have want things to go certain ways. Uh, and, you know, they basically all have to get together and kind of, there's a, a large board for the Linux foundation where they all talk about it. There's a technical board where they all discuss um, and, and we hope to kind of go the same direction. Like, uh, you know, I mean, right now it's pretty much all still a development foundation, but, but we hope that as we grow and other people are invested in the system, that, that more voices are kind of added to, to these decisions. So, so the, the role of the foundation is to basically spearhead uh, the development of the protocol and mm -hmm. in the future also have the governance piece, uh, piece in place, right? 
Right. Yeah. Well, it's it's got two purposes, really. It's, it has that where it's um, making sure that the code keeps progressing. And, and the other big thing it does is because there is no mining, uh, because because SCP doesn't have mining, all of the, all of the digital currency kind of exists in the first place. Um, and so we have to figure out how to get that into the world. And what we've done is we've reserved 95% of it that's held by the, the foundation as reserved to give away. So, um, so you know, we're giving to um, – Essentially, when we started, we were giving to like anybody who would come to our site. We're doing it a little bit different way. We're we're going to start that in a couple months. The giveaway. We're going to start again. Basically, we weren't doing it for a long time because we we're rebuilding the network. And now that we've kind of got it to where we're comfortable that it'll it'll work and is solid, we're going to start the giveaway again. Um, so so that's pretty exciting. We're, a, a big chunk of that is actually reserved for Bitcoin holders. So 20% of that is uh, of these like so 20 billion lumens is reserved for Bitcoin holders. Um, essentially w they'll be able to come to us and like verify that they control a certain Bitcoin account and then we'll give them their pro rata share of these, of these lumens. So the idea being that, uh, it, we want to kind of spread this digital currency as widely as possible. Um, because I think it's really important if you want these things to take off so that there's as many participants and you don't want to keep anyone out of the, the system. So. So, so basically, like uh, the Stellar network has its own native currency, like the Bitcoin network has its own native currency, the Bitcoin, mm -hmm. the small b. The Stellar network has its own native currency, which is Lumens, right? Yeah. And uh, there are hundred billion of them, or of which uh, five billion have already been given away, and now you're planning to give away twenty billion of them to all of the Bitcoin holders, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to do that actually in a series of rounds just because we want to make sure it goes smoothly and, and there's not some huge hiccup. So I think the first the first, um, the first first three billion are going or we're going to give away in July. I think July 5th is when people can come to us and like and like prove that they have a Bitcoin account and then we'll give them their, their share of the limits. And, you know, based on that, then we'll, we'll start doing them periodically over the next probably couple of years or something. So, um, yeah. And, and, and do you plan to do more giveaways for other cryptocurrency holders? Like this is just like 25 billion, right? 75 billion is still with the foundation. Do you plan to reward like Ether holders, XRP holders, et cetera? Um, well, when we when we started Stellar, the, the main one by far was Bitcoin. Like Ethereum wasn't launched yet. So uh, we just had reserved them for Bitcoin holders. 1% is actually withheld for uh, XRP holders as well. Um, and we'll, we'll give those at a later time, like probably one of the successive uh, Bitcoin rounds. Um, but yeah, so right now it's just it's just Bitcoin and XRP, like 19, 19 billion for Bitcoin holders and 1% for XRP. Uh, the other pools of coins are 50% is just generally to the world. So um, we'll do um, something where people can come and there'll be some way to get, you know, uh, a small amount of lumens. And that'll be that that's for 50 billion of them. 25% is reserved for other nonprofits. Uh, and and businesses doing um, doing stuff in developing world where it, because it's pretty easy for us to reach anyone on the internet but getting kind of this last mile is um, like difficult for us and it's not our wheelhouse so uh, the idea is that you know and there's like institutions like uh, uh, for instance like give directly that give small amounts to people in Kenya like actual like cash transfers maybe they would 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 be able to also give like small amounts of lumens directly to people. Um, but this is this is kind of reserved for like a little bit on down the line when these people have more connectivity and things like that. So, so there's been this idea like floating around in the cryptocurrency ecosystem of currencies that are distributed really widely. Mm -hmm. right, we started with uh, one of the most famous experiments was Aurora Coin, which was trying to right. give all the citizens of Iceland a particular currency. Yeah. I've I've heard people say, what if we could have a cryptocurrency that we could give to every person in the world? Wouldn't that yeah. be awesome to as as a bootstrapping mechanism, right? right? And it just seems like a very hard problem because yes. not all of these people have have public keys, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, in a sense, like if everyone everyone did, then it would be easy. Yeah. So um, I'd like to ask you about like kind of your previous adventures in this space, like your Facebook giveaway program. Right. Because that was quite interesting. And uh, just have some broad ideas of how are you going to distribute this 50%. Like, like you know, just method. Sure, so sure. We, we, can, we can start away with the Facebook giveaway program. So, uh, so just for the benefit of viewers, what happened was uh, there was a phase uh, when Stellar began. I think it was May or June of 2015 where you could log into your Facebook account 
post something about the stellar network and on your wall and then claim a certain amount of uh, lumens right and uh, and like there was a time when i was like i was getting like a lot of updates on my facebook feed regarding the stellar network so it was a good way to bootstrap uh, and get some publicity as well mm-hmm. but then uh, i then i came to uh, hear of uh, reports that people could game this system using amazon mechanical turk so what what happened there right yeah, so I, I totally agree. Like, I, in the ideal world, we would be able to give a small amount of lumens to everybody on the planet, right? But it, the the challenge there is that uh, not only does everyone not have connectivity, but everyone doesn't have a public key, and then also it's really hard to identify everyone. So people, like, if I've given it to you once, like, how do I know I'm not giving it to you a hundred times, right? So. Uh, like, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, Facebook is kind of the closest proxy for that. I mean, I think they have like 1.5 billion accounts. So it has pretty wide coverage. It's, you know, the largest collection of users in the world. Um, so uh, we, we were kind of using that as as a way to kind of distribute it as widely as possible. Um, so it works. It works really well um, in the beginning. The, the issue is that there are there are people out there that have. Um, lots of stolen Facebook accounts or lots of uh, fakely created Facebook accounts. So the, the fraud like started really actually pretty low and then it's just kind of grew over time. And uh, I mean, one of the takeaways is that you, we really just have to stay on top of, uh, of the giveaway because um, you know, anytime you're giving away something free on the internet, someone's going to try to uh, defraud you, like try to like cheat in some way, right? <laughs> just the way it goes. So um so it is sort of this arms race where you know we have to just like be changing stuff and making the the claim method a little bit different than than people are trying to um, you know get around it and exploit it. So um, you know long term you can't actually you know you'll never be able to solve this problem of this arms race like people always eventually find a way to cheat you. But we only have to kind of stay stay ahead of them for 50 billion lumens. Like what, if we can just stay stay ahead until we give away the 50 50 billion, then then we're good. So um, going forward, we have like a couple. Uh, we have we have a lot of like better ideas for this next round that when we're going to start it up again um, that I think will help things a lot uh, and we'll just spend more effort in in making sure that we kind of stay ahead of the people trying to game the system. Uh, but overall, like it was, I think extremely good the the first giveaway. Like it went extremely well. Um, uh, you know, it 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 did give lumens in the hands of lots of people. Like let people know about the network. It. it got for most people it was the first time they ever had digital currency before which i think is super exciting exposed people to this whole new world um you know a lot of people went on to get bitcoin and other things because of that just because once they kind of get their feet wet and understand what this stuff is they get excited about it i think so i think it's just good for the whole ecosystem and the whole like you know cryptocurrency space in general when you can kind of introduce this whole wide swaths of population to it so so we're pretty excited about starting it up again so i i think um i think the the, the next ways we're going to do it are going to be a lot better i think so so in terms of the current state of the network, uh, like what, what are the kind of usage statistics like in, in Stellar and uh, who, who are the first users? So uh, basically, the, the, we just kind of put it back into production you know, a few months ago. So, so the usage is fairly low. Um, we're kind of, we haven't been talking that much or like focusing that much on um, existing cryptocurrency community. So um, usage is actually fairly low there. The, the the people that are most interested are like solving these problems that we've been talking about in Nigeria. So like integrating to these mobile money things uh, and these banks there and these other like payment networks in Nigeria to make domestic payments work much better than they do now. Um, and so we kind of, it'll kind of, I think I anticipate a different usage pattern than what other cryptocurrencies are seeing because it, it's it's going to come from a country that you know, hasn't really used this stuff before. Um, but it, but like I say, it's very new, so um, we'll see. But yeah, right now, the, you know, usage is low just because these people haven't gone through their integration yet. But we hope like in the next couple months, things are going to start um, being announced and it should get kind of exciting. So, yeah. So like, uh, why did you pick Nigeria? Like, uh, what was the, so I, I can understand, I can understand the logic that, uh, uh, like, like you said before that the, the reason to target the developing world is that the pain points in moving money are higher in the developing world right. than like say the United States or Europe. So it's easier to give uh, like consumers, customers uh, a, a great u- user experience compared to the other things they have. Right. Right. 
but like uh, I would say like the the candidates for something like this are basically a lot of countries in Eastern Europe, Asia, mm-hmm. Africa, South America, perhaps. Uh, why did you zoom into on Nigeria? On Nigeria? Uh, well, I mean, a few reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think there there are many countries in the world we could have picked that would would be equally as good. Uh, I mean, some of the reasons are. Uh, Nigeria is like super isolated from even more so than a lot of the developing world from from uh, the the rest of the world just because of I mean I'm sure everyone when you say Nigeria one of the first people one of the first things people think about is like the Nigerian scams and they're like oh Nigerian prince this kind of thing and it actually has a huge like that whole reputation has a huge impact on the country like it's really hard for money to be sent into the country like most U.S. banks won't deal with them directly because they think that you're if you're trying to send money to Nigeria you're probably being scammed in some way and so this is really unfortunate and it actually like uh, as, as a huge detriment to, to the Nigerian people and their economy. Like when we went there, uh, one of the developers was telling us this story where he he was he was he was a developer. Someone had set up a hosting um, like a like a you know like a, a host like a web host um, in in Europe somewhere for him. So there's his first way to like have a website on the internet. So he had this web host. It was in the other guy's name, and then eventually the guy changed it to his name. And then within like 24 hours they shut it down because he had put his Nigerian address in there. And they're like, no way. You, if you're in Nigeria, we're not going to do business with you, right? So they're like oh. they're like really isolated from the rest of the world, and it's like kind of tragic. So. Um, you know, for like this was pretty compelling. It's the largest economy in Africa, which is like really compelling. Um, it's growing super fast. Uh, like it's just kind of beginning to take off. Uh, uh, and so I think it's just a really exciting country in general. Um, you know, there's like some like practical stuff, like they speak English there. So like that, you know, our whole team speaks English. So it's much easier for us to, to, to do, deal with them. Um, and, you know, the people there are like super driven and they, they really like to get things done. That's, that's exciting. There's, there's, there actually is a pretty okay development or developer community. Um, you know, there's just lots of factors, but you kind of just have to pick one at some point. So, um, but yeah, our experience there has been really positive so far. So that's why. Yeah. So what's the approach there? Like how, how are you trying to get, um, people to use it? Are you specifically focused on remittances? Uh, so I think our approach first is actually uh, in-country in payments and domestically, because right now in Nigeria, if you want to send money from, say, Lagos to the countryside, it, it literally involves like a 16-hour bus ride. Like you put money on a bus and it goes. And I, so this is like super broken. I mean, we were talking to other people there. Like there was uh, someone who's running um, a small shop. And anytime she wanted to go send a payment, she would have to leave her shop and go on a bus. And uh, she would have to close her shop because she was the only one that worked there, close it and go on a bus and like go to the nearest ATM, which was like miles away, pay for the bus ride and then send this transfer. So it basically cost her a huge amount of money, like a a day's like a a day's wages gone and like the bus fare and all this stuff. So it's just really inefficient. Um, So just solving the domestic problem, I think, is the, the first place to start. And then once that is kind of solved, then it's a pretty clear case for people to send money back to Nigeria using Stellar's because if people are on it domestically, it's it's much it's a very easy story. Um, so that's kind of the idea. And then and then once you're using it for the remittances, then it's easy to use it between other countries in Africa and, and things like this. And then, um, you know, Europe, things like that. So. OK, so uh, so. Uh... So one one of the interesting things that that came up uh, during our, our conversation was uh, Lightning networks using Stellar, but like Lightning networks uh, using Stellar fundamentally assumes some kind of smart contract capability on Stellar in the first place. Yeah, so, that's right. Uh, what are the what are the moves you're making in in that area? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you going the Ethereum way or are you going the Bitcoin way, which is right. like less capability? What's your plan? Yeah. So, I mean, it's still not completely uh, a given yet. I mean, so far we've we've tried to keep um, the operations and the transactions very expressive where you can you can do various things. Like, obviously, you can build Lightning on Stellar now. You can build other things on Stellar, like, you know, bonds, you know, credit default swaps, things like this. You can build pretty complicated things. Um, it's not it's not Turing complete inside the network, but our kind of our hope is that uh, most of the computation can be done outside of the network. Um, so, so basically, they're like the computation is done outside the network, but the transactions and the way accounts are structured are, can only be manipulated in certain ways. That you can set that up beforehand. Like, for example, with um, 
one of one of the examples that we use is, that, is setting up a Kickstarter type thing where everyone pays into this account, and if the account reaches a, a certain threshold, then it then it'll pay out to the recipient. Otherwise, it'll go back to the people. Um, and, and you can do this by setting up the account in a certain way beforehand, where where there's only and you can like kind of pre-sign transactions and publish these, and they only work under certain conditions. And these conditions are satisfied outside of the system, uh, and and the logic of whether you submit one transaction or the other is is done outside the system. And kind of the benefit of that is that you don't you should be able to be more scalable because the computation doesn't have to be done by the network itself. It can be done by people using just this part, like people that are just interested in this Kickstarter-like thing or just interested in this one lightning channel. They don't have to like put the computation into the network to be done by all these nodes, right? So. So that's kind of the route we're going down now. I mean, if if it turns out there's like some fundamental things that we can't express, that maybe it'll tend towards getting more Turing complete. But but at this point, it seems like it seems like I haven't found anything that that's compelling enough to want us to go the full Ethereum route yet. Although although I think Ethereum is super exciting. So um, yeah, so I, I, that that that's kind of our our thought right now. So so what I got from that is like. Uh... The way you're approaching it is uh, you're, you, you have special account types, right? Like what, what you're doing is uh, you're creating special account types on Stellar well, that well, have some, yeah, well, some they're not, pre-programmed they're, logic. Sorry, yeah, oh. they're not really special account types. They're just basically there's ways to – there's we, we try to keep – we try to make the special cases as, as few as possible and make it where there's just – like for instance, an account can have any number of signers, right? And the signers can have various weights. And this is a general thing, right? You can have three signers on the account and maybe one of them can sign on or it takes all three or things like this. And so um, this is a general thing. But based with these like kind of building blocks, you can compose them in different ways to make interesting things. Like the transactions themselves can have multiple operations. So you can have a transaction that sends to account A and sends to account B. Uh, and it and it sends it from two different accounts. And these two different accounts have to sign the transaction as well. So, um, you know, you can do kind of you, – you can start to do interesting things just, just by the way the building blocks are set up in the first place. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So – so would it be right to say that you have things like multi-signature and like time locks and maybe yeah. something else? Yeah, yeah. And using these building blocks, uh, people can combine them together to make interesting things. Right, exactly, yeah. So has there been any, any interest uh, or activities in terms of kind of taking Stellar and then taking some of the technology you've developed and then using it, for example, in the financial context for any of the many permissioned ledger projects that are going on? Uh, yeah, I think a few people are working on this, actually. Uh, the Stellar Development Foundation is not working on it directly, but um, you know, we would be excited for anyone else to do projects based on this. I mean, it's very easy to set up your private Stellar network. You just change one line in the config file, and then you basically have started a new network. So it's easy for people to make these permissioned networks if they want to or... You know, and the code is obviously all open source, so you can fork it and do things that you want. I think there's a couple projects that have like forked it and are are doing a more permissioned like thing tailored specifically for banks and other financial institutions. But yeah, so you can definitely use it for this. And and are there other use cases people are pursuing? Like when I was reading the paper on seller consensus protocol, one of the things that the author David Mazieres seemed really interested in is. Uh, having a Stellar-like network to manage all the certificates that we use for websites. So whenever right. there's a website, it has an SSL certificate. What if you had a giant registry of SSL certificates maintained on a network like Stellar? Um, yeah. What do you think of that idea? And are you pursuing other, other, are there other directions using this consensus protocol like that? Yeah, I mean, there, there are, I think that's a good idea. And there are a ton of things that you could do with Stellar. Uh, us as I mean, one of the things that kills uh, small companies is that is lack of focus. So, us we, we just have to focus. We're just focusing on focusing on the payments use case. But I think there are tons of stuff that could be built on Stellar, and I really hope other people do because it, it, to me it's like pretty exciting. And this this idea of SCP could be even just using that, and you can build other stuff on top. Maybe not the Stellar network itself, but you know you could build some other like more generic database or, or other things that are using this consensus algorithm, I think would be pretty exciting or things like the certificate authority thing. Um, yeah. So we hope that other people do, but, but we can't focus on it just yet. I mean, hopefully in a few years, but yeah. Cool. Well, um, 
Jed, thanks so much for coming on. It was, yeah. it was, it was great talking to you. And I think one of the things I, I find particularly exciting here is that if you, you know, if you used to go to Bitcoin conferences or be in the space, it's always that people would talk about, well, how great it would be for like developing countries and how, right. uh, but of course being completely dissociated in terms that like hardly any projects actually focus on that area and right. hardly any people talking about it actually had any clue of <laughs> of those worlds. So it's exciting that there is now, you know, that you guys are pursuing that and, and sort of sticking with it. I think at the time when I'm not sure who else is doing that, very few, maybe a few Bitcoin startups are doing something like that. And, and it, at least in my view, doesn't look like Bitcoin is going to be the one winning that game. So, so I think that's ex extremely exciting and I'm um, certainly look forward to seeing, um, how sellers going to develop and how those, further kind of rollouts and distributions of lumens are going to go as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah. It's a really great talking to you guys. Um, yeah, I, I, we're, we're really excited about what's going to happen in Nigeria and other places. I, I think it could be really beneficial for people and, and make a lot of lives better. So, uh, we're, de we're definitely psyched. So, yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. And of course, our listeners, we're going to have links to, to the white paper and to their website and their blog, etc. So if people want to learn more about Stellar, there'll be lots of resources to turn to and, uh, and sort of become part of the Stellar community. And yeah, so thanks so much. We, we are part of the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. So you can find our show and lots of other shows on letstalkbitcoin.com. Um, we put out episodes every Monday, usually, well, Tuesday this time. Uh, and you can subscribe to the show using any podcast app or you can watch the videos on youtube.com slash episode of Bitcoin. And uh, if, you, uh, if you want to leave us an iTunes review, then we're going to send you one of those t-shirts. Now, I, I do owe some t-shirts to some people, but they'll, they'll come with stickers though uh, as, as a sort of bonus. So. so thanks so much and we look forward to being back next week. Thank you.